session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. So didn't do a show Monday because... Uh, here in the United States, it was Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day, so didn't get to talk about the books then, so I'll do the book summary today. First, let me announce the book for this week that I'll talk about on Monday's show. It is The Neuroscience of Suicidal Behavior by Keese Van Heeringen. The Neuroscience of Suicidal Behavior by Keese Van Heeringen. Good chance I'm saying the last name wrong. I'll probably try to see if I can find that um, pronunciation, but looking forward to reading this book and sharing it with you, looking at, uh, as the title implies, the neuroscience of suicidal behavior, but apparently it also has some ideas related to what we can do based on the research on the neuroscience of suicidal behavior to help prevent or intervene um, with suicidal behavior thinking. Uh, And it's one of those topics that I want to bring up every so often on this show because suicide, even when I say the word, I can feel it. And I know for people, it's something we think we should avoid. It's very taboo. We shouldn't talk about it because we shouldn't talk about it or we feel uncomfortable talking about it. We don't ask about it. So let's say if you're concerned about a family member, we might feel like we shouldn't ask because we feel so uncomfortable. So I do think like other taboo topics that I try to discuss on this show, the only way we break a taboo is to talk about it, to make it not taboo, something we can speak about. So looking forward to reading that book this week, sharing it with you on Monday's show. Very different type of book of the week for last week as far as type of seriousness. Um, this was definitely more of a personal one for me that I wanted to read. It's The book was The Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman. Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. And so the timing was pretty interesting to read about the Lakers, as anyone who is an NBA fan knows that just this past Sunday, the Lakers won the NBA championship, a very unique year that they stopped the year and then started again in the bubble where all teams were in the same location. But I was very happy about that, being a lifelong Lakers fan. So it was interesting to read this book while uh, the series was going on. Um, so the book it looks at the years from 1996 to 2004 of the Los Angeles Lakers. I was a very big fan during this time. And I enjoyed reading the book because it was reflecting on uh, these years, a lot of the things I, I knew what was going to happen as far as what was happening in the games, but it gave a lot of behind the scenes look into the drama that was unfolding behind the scenes during this 
period of time. A lot of which I've heard about, at least we knew about the conflict, let's say, between Kobe and Shaq, which was uh, very evident and even public a lot of the times. But you got to see some things behind the scenes. Now, you know, when you read a book like this, just like when you watch a movie that's about a true story or based on a true story or documenting someone's life, you sometimes wonder if things are exaggerated or, you know, people are painted to be caricatures of themselves because that might be more entertaining or interesting or make the story easier to follow. So I wondered about that. There was, um, you know, he wrote this book, Jeff Perlman talks about before Kobe had died, but then I think when he was wrapping it up and then publishing it, um, he, uh, Kobe had died earlier this year. And so he does mention that earlier in the book, but I thought he, Kobe didn't look so good in some of the ways he came off as being very selfish repeatedly. And there, I'm sure, was some truth to that, but I wondered if it was at times exaggerated in some ways. So it was interesting to see the dynamics and uh, always, as anyone, the drama, but also as a psychologist, it, it's interesting to see how people try to coexist or get along or don't get along. And one of the big um, things that we saw here was that Kobe and Shaq both wanted to be the top person or the number one guy and, and this led to conflict between them and so you know whatever dynamics we're talking about whatever kind of relationship we can see that when people don't want the same thing or they want it but in different ways it can lead to conflict if they can't find common ground so not comparing playing on a basketball team to being uh, in a marriage or being co-parents but it's important to be aware of how you uh, align your values to get the job done. Now, they were so talented and so good that even though they had this conflict and drama, they were able to be successful in terms of winning three straight championships. But we also see that it's possible. And when I was reading it, there was a bittersweet feeling because you could see how there was uh, some the level of conflict and friction that they had might have interfered from them winning more even during those years and for uh, things coming to an end at 2004 when they were still both Kobe and Shaq very good players amazing players uh, Shaq still potentially in his prime or nearing the end of his prime but Kobe coming into his prime and so there was a lot of what if also as I was reading the book imagining what, what could have happened. Uh, but going back to the values being aligned. So when, when you're on a team, of course, your goal should be success and whatever that means. You know, if you're in a business team, if you're parents and you're co-parenting in a sport, winning is the uh, goal. That's really what you're trying to aim for. However, what you could see is, of course, we could say that, and it's easy to say you should want to win and do anything for the team, and there's cliche statements that we we might uh, consider that always come up in these types of scenarios, but that individuals have their own feelings or needs or wants that might be in some ways aligned, but in some ways misaligned, and something you can see in the world of sports, but also not in the world of sports, in politics and in business, is that people are at times focused on how they look uh, compared to getting to some result or how much of the good of the result is going to be on them. How much credit are they going to get in what happens? And that can affect a lot of things. One, it can affect what you do. So something that would come up 
in this case was, uh, you know, Kobe and Shaq on the court trying to shine in different ways. Was Kobe shooting too much because he wanted to get attention for scoring a lot and to prove that he can uh, play against anyone or beat anyone? Um, was Shaq sometimes upset and doing the same thing, maybe not wanting to give the ball back to him or creating friction? So on the court, we saw that even though their goal essentially was the same to win, but because they could have been aware of who's going to get the attention, who's going to be considered the number one guy, that could have conflicted with that main or end goal of uh, of, of winning. And in some ways, it probably did. And so we might think, well, this is very unique, and it is a very unique situation. But even when you're parents, you might want to be mindful of are you looking like the better parents compared to your husband or wife? Do I look like the good guy or the bad guy? Do I look like um, the, the, the one they like more? Do my kids like me more? And we might think, of course, we would never think of these things. But we have to be aware that we're human, that you can have these feelings or thoughts creep up. And so we can hopefully recognize that what is our ultimate goal? And your ultimate goal, obviously, you want to be the best father or mother you can be, but not because you want some accolades of being the best, but because you want to love your children in the best way to help them to grow, develop, to become um, who, who they can be or to meet their potential. So, of course, you want to be the best parent, but not as far as how it's seen, but how it's experienced by your child. And sometimes that can mean making sacrifices or at least trying to put aside as much as we can what you might call your ego or yourself and how you look in a situation. That has to go in the back burner compared to what's the best for my child in this moment and also what's the best for my child bigger picture so we're not too lost in the moment. Because as a parent, you can get so fixated on looking good, on your child liking you. Is my child going to uh, you know, like how I'm doing things? And I've seen this with families I've worked with, whether it's in family or couples therapy, but this uh, almost competition at times between the parents, sometimes it's more subtle, sometimes it's more pronounced, of being the better parent or who's doing it more right. You know, and they might come to me or go to a therapist and say, see, I do it this way. Isn't this the right way to parent? And so the experience is more about how do I look as a parent and being right about how I parent rather than really is this what's best for my child? So, um, you know, you could see that in this, uh, again, it could feel like a very different uh, landscape in a very different context, but some of that same dynamic of, well, what are we trying to do here? And so if we want to play our best because that's our best, that's very important. But if we want to make sure we look the best or how we look is more important, that can at times get in the way and will become misaligned because at times when a sacrifice needs to be made or making the best decision in a moment, we might not make that best decision. So you might want to take the shot rather than make the pass, let's say, because of how you might look if you can make the shot when maybe it's better for your team that you do something else. So being mindful of our role, being mindful of our goal, what is it that we're trying to do is very important. And seeing the drama unfold in this book, you could see that 
Uh, of course, we're dealing with basketball players who are getting all this fame and attention and money. And then also, there are real consequences. If you do get more of the accolades or more of the credit, it affects how you get paid. It affects how uh, people see you, your reputation, your legacy, all sorts of things. So again, we can say it's very easy to just that no one should care about those things. No one should care about their ego or their self or how they're seen. But we, we know we all do at some level. So it's being mindful of that. Don't lie to yourself and say you don't care, but try to understand how you care and be aware of how it might creep up. Because the worst thing we can do is not be aware of what's driving our actions. So you think, no, no, I'm just doing this because it's the right thing to do. But if you're not aware that actually it's because you know that might make you look the best, um, that's obviously going to affect your, your decision-making and taking in all the information. So it was a, a fascinating read for me. It was uh, reliving many years of being a fan of the team, um, but also getting to see and hear behind the scenes. As I mentioned, I took it as truth, not that I think that the author, Jeff Perlman, was trying to lie, but I can understand that at times things might get exaggerated, even in how people tell the stories. You know, people tell a story of when they played with this person or that happened, and it can feel exaggerated at times or it becomes like a caricature of what really happened. So I wondered that at moments when I was reading the book, um, but it was uh, interesting to just see uh, what was uh, unfolding behind the scenes of so much success, really, when you win three championships in a row, that's a big deal. But that there was still all this drama um, beneath the surface. And it was kind of sad at times. You know, you see the different aspects of their psychology, Kobe and Shaq being such different people. And, and actually, that was another thing, that it wasn't just that I think they had to dislike each other. Um, but it seems like they just were different. You know, Shaq was used to everyone liking him and caring about the things he was doing. And Kobe seemed, because he was more into himself or had a certain mindset, he didn't seem to care as much. And so it was interesting, even the way he wrote about it in the book, is that it was almost that Shaq wanted Kobe's attention sometimes more and couldn't get Kobe's approval and attention in that sense that I'm your big brother. Uh, Kobe just was kind of doing his own thing. And so he was very isolated. Some of it could have been his personality. Some of it could have been he didn't know how he would get along with other people. Um, he was also very focused on winning and success and working hard. So he was just obsessed with those things and wouldn't have fun the way that the other guys did. Some of that could be good. He was more focused on working hard and developing himself. Um, but also some of it could have been that he was missing out on connecting with the teammates. And a team is, of course, what you do let's say when you're performing, but also team building. It's something kind of cliche we see in businesses, but there really is something to that because how connected you are, how you work together is going to affect what you produce. How you feel about each other is going to affect how you produce. If you don't like someone else and then you have to collaborate with them, it, inevitably it's going to affect how you perform with them. Even if you think this is now just business and that's personal, it obviously will have some impact. So again, there was a lot of things. It was a basketball book, but it was more about the psychology and the drama of it and the relationships, which I found fascinating. So if you're a sports fan, I'd highly recommend it to check out the book to get some insight into um, what was going on behind the scenes during these years. Uh, but it was a book definitely I wanted to make sure I read because, uh, again, I've been a Lakers fan for so long. And as soon as it was coming out, I wanted to check it out. So that was Three Ring Circus, uh, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty by Jeff Perlman. Let's go to our 
First commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back, studio number 310-441-0555. In the first segment, I was talking about the book Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman, talking about the Lakers of the 1996 to 2004 years, where it's Kobe Shaq and head coach Phil Jackson for uh, the last, I guess, five years of that. And I was talking about teams and working together. And so I wanted to continue on that theme because so much of what we do and anything we really want to do, we have to work with other people. As uh, the proverb goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, which means that if you really want to accomplish something special or meaningful, you're going to need other people to do it. And so even with that, we can also first take a step back and looking at what sometimes we think of as independence, which is what people think is the goal versus interdependence. And when people focus on being so independent, there's this emphasis on not needing anyone else at times. So independence is not all bad. Sometimes when we talk about uh, a young adult or even teenager and they're too dependent on their parents or on someone else, that's not good. They need to be independent in the sense that they can take care of themselves. But at times this um, desire to be independent so much, it can come from not necessarily a strength that I don't need anyone, but more of a weakness or a feeling that I don't want to need anyone or do anything with anyone and I want to get all the credit for whatever happens myself. So we shouldn't necessarily need anyone in the sense of to survive as in uh, I, I need you to, to make sure I don't die when you become an, a, an adult. You should be self-sustaining in that way. But as human beings we do have a social and relational need for others that it's important for us to acknowledge and accept. So uh, it doesn't mean need necessarily you will die, although there is some ways that we see that if uh, even a developing child doesn't get social connection and interaction, it can affect their development. So we do have really a need to some degree. Or even when we talk about attachment, I talked about the book Attached uh, a few months ago now. We can sometimes think of being attached to someone as something negative. And it has that sense of uh, you're needing someone. But when we talk about attachment, it means forming an emotional bond and connection, really. It's more about connection than necessarily attached in the way that you might think of it as life or death. Um, however, attachment feelings can give us a feeling of life or death because when we were a child or a baby attaching to your parents, you did have the sense that if I lose this attachment, this person, I die, which is why we have such strong feelings when it comes to that because it makes sense. It was really a survival thing. So we do have in that sense a need for others. It's a healthy need. There's a difference between I need you because if I don't, I feel empty and alone and a need as in as a human being, I need connection with others. And so I'll seek that out with you. So we can both need others and be okay being alone, which might seem like a paradox, but it's actually where we want to get to is that I want to be with others. And sometimes that word want or desire might make it feel more comfortable to want someone to be with someone, but I can survive alone 
because if you really can't survive even for a period of time by yourself, then you'll be desperate for anyone to fill that void, to fill that space. So we need to be okay in our own company to be by ourselves, but having a desire to be around others is important. So when you look at being independent in the way that sometimes people go to some extreme, it's that I don't even want to be around anyone, I don't need anyone, and you might even push people away, might even be abrasive in how you interact with them, and think it's coming from a strength that I don't need anyone. So that means I'm stronger than others that need. So maybe you'll even scoff at people that want to be with someone. It's like, oh, why do you want to be with anyone? You shouldn't need that. I'm stronger than you. And th this tendency can come from someone when we're talking about attachment theory, who's more likely to have an avoidant attachment style. So they don't like being close or it feels uncomfortable for them to be close and actually the paradox is that they actually want at some level closeness but because it brings up feelings of anxiety of maybe being too close of being smothered possibly of insecurity what if they see me up close and they don't like me or the risk of getting hurt that they might push it away so it doesn't mean they actually don't want it at all but that they've chosen a strategy that for them makes more at least sense or seem to make more sense as a survival that allows them to get some needs met in some ways they might have shorter term connections keep it more surface uh, but they still seek it out so you see that people that have an avoidant attachment style they still have relationships but very often they are short-lived or they're with someone who always wants them more than they want the person they are with. And again, this could further contribute to this feeling of strength, of see like how great I am, that people want me more than I want them. But it could be that they're not letting them feel the want that they have for that other person. And so they're comfortable in this space. So we want to be very aware of our tendency to go towards and go away from others and not get too caught up in some black and white thinking that well to need others is bad and to not need them is good and a sign of strength because it's much more complicated than that as human beings there is a natural desire to be around others we are social creatures in this way so if you find that you don't want to be close to someone don't just take that as on the surface being a strength that means you're somehow better than others. Uh, be aware that it could be coming from a protective stance. Very often when we push others away, it might seem strong. Or another way that we do this is sometimes people can be very aggressive towards others and they also think it's strong. And that itself could be a defense. If I feel like inside there's this soft heart or this soft shell, I might put spikes on the outside to not let anyone get close to protect myself and again the theme we see here again is the person comes off like they don't care oh i don't care if i bother people or if i upset people or what they think of me and you can tell by the way that i am acting with them right if i cared i wouldn't say the things that might upset them but i say them so you can tell i don't care but actually very often they care a lot they are trying to protect themselves and so before you can hit me i'm going to hit you first I'm going to create a dynamic where I'm the aggressor and put you down. And very often they're drawn to people that let them put them down or have the upper hand. And so this aggressive approach allows for them to protect 
what's already within them, which is softer and not uh, feeling as good. So it could come from actually more of a sign of uh, a lack of a good feeling or a lack of feeling strong that makes them come off so strong. And this is something we see in lots of different ways that people act that they might show something, but anytime someone shows you something too much, you have to wonder what else is there or or really that the opposite is probably true. You know, sometimes people will tell you, oh, I hate lying and I never lie. I would never lie. I'm not someone who lies. You know, people lie all the time and I'm not someone who lies. If someone tells you that, to be honest, your first thought should be like, is this person an honest person? Because why does someone have to be so in your face about not doing something? People that don't lie, they just don't lie. They don't uh, advertise it. Or people that say they're so confident don't have to keep telling you how confident they are. Or people that are smart don't have to keep telling you about how smart they are. They'll just show you and let you um, judge for yourself or they don't really care as much. So it's interesting, the people that will tell you how much they don't care, uh, that actually is the person who cares more. Because people who really don't care about something just don't mention it. So if someone says very, uh, especially if it's unasked, if you ask a question, it's different. But if someone tells you, I don't care about money, I don't care about money, I don't care about money, it makes you wonder, okay, they must care about money. Because why are they saying it so much? Someone who really doesn't care about money just lives their life that way. Or they know they care to some degree, but they might not be extreme about it. But they just do that. They won't unwarranted just come and tell you, um, let me tell you about how much I don't care about money or care about these things. So the louder we sometimes are about something, which on the surface seems like, oh, this person, you know, they tell me how much they don't care about this, uh, or I'm not racist, or I'm not this, or whatever it might be. If someone is too much promoting something about themselves, it should make you pause and wonder what else is there, what they might actually have underneath that makes them be so strong about saying, I'm not this way. People will just show you what they are rather than tell you. Be aware of that. That's something that, uh, you know, people, you're dating, you're meeting someone, if they emphasize something too much, it should at least make you pause. It's not always the case. Sometimes someone just got out of a relationship where their ex lied to them and cheated and did, did all those things. So they might be bringing up lying because they're so afraid to get burned again. So I don't want you to assume I know this person is a liar, but we can just see that it's at least a sensitive spot. There's something going on there. They're not so good about it if they're bringing it up. Um, so much. But coming back to this theme of interdependence, really, that's the healthiest state we want to get to. Independence sounds like the strongest, which makes sense. I'm independent. I don't need anyone. I can do everything on my own. But true health comes from when we recognize the interdependence of life, that every day you need other people. Every day, just to survive in the world, you have other people that take care of things, whether you pay them. Now, you might think because I pay them, I don't need them or I'm giving them something. But then your life becomes very transactional, which loses a lot of its value in the, the genuine sense. Um, but we need people every day that it's okay to want to be around others. And sometimes this desire to not need to be around anyone so badly is actually coming from this fear of getting hurt 
or this fear that something bad can happen in a relationship, but we fool ourselves into thinking that it's my strength that makes me get away from everyone. It's actually me being stronger and better than everyone else that makes me go away, not recognizing that it's actually coming from some sensitivity or something that's going on. So that's why we always want to take a deeper look, because on the surface, behaviors, actions, attitudes can seem a certain way, but when we look underneath, we might see that sometimes the exact opposite might be driving it, or something that looks like a strength is coming from a weakness. Another one I've mentioned before is people who commit infidelity in almost a boastful way. And especially when men do it, sometimes it could come off as this, he's very manly and very strong, that he's um, cheating on his partner with multiple people. It can be, for some people, a sign of manhood or an indicator of manhood. But really what's usually driving that is an insecurity to be so close to one person and also the fear of letting one person hurt you if you get close or get emotionally attached to someone. Because if someone has five or six different people that they're in a relationship with, well, one of them can't do so much to hurt them because even if they disappear, they still have several other people there to fill up that space and to feel okay. But if you put all of your uh, emotional, in the romantic sense, all of your emotions into one person to connect to them, you are risking something. You are giving that person or that relationship, at least, it's not really just the person, the power to hurt you very deeply, but you are willing to take that risk. So again, something that looks like a strength, I don't care about anyone that much, I'm not really, you know, that connected, they all care about me more than I care about them. It's actually coming from a space of weakness, of fear of getting close, of actually investing so much into one person. So we always want to take a little deeper look. And of course, when I'm saying this, people are probably thinking of other people, which I, I understand that's going to come up because you're dating or family members, you're going to think about them. But we always want to look at ourselves. We might think we know ourselves so well and we know why we do everything. But very often, if we look a little bit deeper, and especially if we're open to seeing what's there, sometimes we don't want to see that maybe there's something driving this that we don't like or wouldn't like to see in ourselves. But if we're open to that, we might recognize that an underlying cause or the underlying drive might be something very different from what we see on the surface. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The previous segment, I was talking about um, independence versus interdependence and, and working together as a team was also the theme starting from the first segment where I discussed the book Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman. So if we do accept and acknowledge that we do need others, that that is going to be a part of life and coming back to when we are part of a team. We do want to be aware of what is our goal. Now, we all are human beings who want acknowledgement. We all want recognition. We all want to be seen. We sometimes want to be seen even for better than we are, but at least we want to be seen for who we are, what are our gifts, our skills, our abilities. So we understand that that is there. We're all going to have that desire. 
But if we also recognize that what we're doing something for, or whatever we're doing, what it's for, is, has a meaning outside of ourselves, then we will have a better motivator than if it's just about us. So if you want to teach because you want people to tell you it's so great for you to be a teacher and for your uh, students to praise you and for people to praise you, well, it's understandable to have some of that desire, but it's very different from your teaching because you want to help kids learn, you want to inspire them, motivate them, to see the potential in them, uh, and it's something more not about you. This will serve as a much better motivator and, interestingly enough, lead to more happiness long term. Uh, happiness in the sense of living a meaningful life, not necessarily just joy in the moment. Then if you're just trying to get something from what the experience that people tell you how good you are. So we sometimes think it'll feel so good to get the recognition and the praise and for people to tell you that you're great and you're the best. And of course, those things do feel good, but it's going to be much more short-lived than if your motivation is helping others, doing something for others, something outside of yourself. Because what really gives our lives meaning, well, it could be a few things. One is our relationships, we know, can be one of the biggest indicators of our long-term happiness. And by relationships, doesn't mean the quantity but it means the quality of how close you feel with some people, how connected you feel, how supported you feel. But another important aspect of living a meaningful life is contributing something, giving something in some way. And this also relates to a topic I often discuss when we look at success. And if you close your eyes and you imagine someone who is successful, Usually, either you think of some people, or if you have kind of an imagination of yourself or someone else being successful, we usually imagine someone who has a lot of money, someone who has a lot of fame, has gotten a lot of attention because of whatever it is that they're doing. So we usually think of success as what has someone got, what have they received. How much money does this person have when we're looking at who are the most um, successful people in some field or in general, the successful people on planet Earth, we think of money. If someone has a lot of money, we think they must be successful. So unfortunately, the way we usually think of success is based on what someone gets. How much do I get? But I think it's important to flip that exactly on its head and recognize that a truly successful person is measured based on what they have given. What have they contributed to the world, to other people? Whatever it is that you're doing, focusing on what you have given rather than what you get. So we can think of two singers who both want to sing and both want to, um, let's say, become well-known. One of them might be driven by, I'm going to become this famous singer, make all this money, have all this fame, get all this attention, have people desire me, have people want to spend time with me, and all these things I'm going to get. I'll be able to do whatever I want because of my fame and notoriety, and their focus might be just on what they can get. The other side, you can have someone who wants to be a singer who thinks, I have a beautiful voice, I think I can write nice music, I think that my music will 
make people feel good, might make people connect, might give them a certain message, might let them uh, express something in themselves or connect to something in themselves. And really it's about giving and sharing this gift with others rather than on what I get. Now, of course, that person likely will feel good about getting attention or getting fame and they don't want to lie to themselves and say, I don't care at all about these things. It's only natural to have that have an effect on you. But it can be very different as far as what your motivation is. Is it really just to get that? What am I going to get from it? Or is it about what I can give, which is really driving what you do? So they mo both might want to become well-known. There's a difference to become well-known because of what you want to get and well-known because, you know, that way you're making a bigger impact. If you are creating a drug right now, so many people are trying to create a vaccine for the coronavirus. And of course, if you are the person or the company or the group that, that creates the, the successful vaccine, you're going to get a lot of attention and I'm sure tons of money. Um, and that could be a driver and I'm sure it can be there at some level, but hopefully the driving force is that what are you going to give as far as giving this, um, whether it's considered a, a preventative or a cure for people to save lives. What you're giving can also be your drive for what you're doing. And so both in how we measure success, I think this is important to look at what people have given. And very often it's both. Someone who, for example, um, does give a lot from their art often gets a lot as well. But hopefully their driving force is creating the art, sharing the gift with others. But if we can shift our own focus in recognizing what is this person given to the world? What has been their contribution? and focus on that more than we focus on, well, what did they get? How many followers do they have on Instagram? How much money did they make uh, last year? When we shift that focus and also shift it for ourselves, we'll recognize that what we're actually using to fuel us will be better for us in the long term and also better for the world in the long term. There's a lot of ways that we think we know what makes people happy or we think we know the recipes to living a good life, but often we have the ingredients very wrong in what we think makes a good life. So generally we think if I have lots of money and lots of fame and attention, that's the life. That's what I should be striving for. That's the thing that's going to lead to a good life. And so we think we know, and it seems we take it as a given that if you make lots more money and if you become very famous you're going to be happy and that's what we should be going for and that's what we see people just fighting some so much to get to uh, especially with social media and the internet has fueled it in a different way that people just think i just want to be famous for no reason and by no reason i mean by not contributing really anything because again, the focus isn't on giving something, it's about getting something. I just want to have 5 million followers and have everyone, you know, give me all this positive attention and all these things because I want to get, get, get. And we're trying to get all that to fill something within ourselves that never gets filled by these things. If you don't feel good about yourself and then you get a lot of fame and money, you don't get happy. You might initially have a lot of excitement and joy, but after a while that's going to get dull and you're going to feel even worse 
because now you have all the things you wanted so you have everything i have everything i could want and i'm unhappy then you feel even worse about yourself it feels like even more well then it must be me if i have everything and i'm unhappy then i'm the problem and the problem is you don't have everything you have the things that actually don't make you happy but you're thinking it's going to make you happy it's like if you drink water and think you're going to be full for having food, it's never going to fill it up and you're going to think something's wrong with you or your body when really it's that you're filling it up, that hunger, with the wrong thing. So pushing yourself for this unfortunately makes you unhappy and either way you lose because if you get those things for the wrong reasons, you probably won't be happy and you'll feel bad. Or if you don't get them, you think, oh, I'm such a failure. I never succeeded in those ways of succeeding or being successful that you thought. And you'll feel bad about yourself, too. So we see that really either if you get it or don't, you feel like you lost when you're driven by what you get. When you're trying to get something from the world rather than recognizing the true success and really the true gift, even in giving to yourself, is what you can give. How can I give to this world? How do I share my gifts with the world, whatever that might be? Not only how do I share my gifts, but in really creating them, how do I work on those things? How do I develop my skills, my talents, my abilities? You know, if you're a singer, how do I work on my craft, since I use that example? Or if you're a scientist looking for a vaccine, putting in the hard work of studying, of staying up to date, of doing the work that it takes to produce whatever it is you're trying to produce scientifically, um, is something that's going to take effort and hard work, and you have to work hard at that. But if your drive is trying to give something to others, usually that's going to work much more in your favor in pushing you. When you, um, you know, a lot of people, they're depressed and they get a dog, all of a sudden they're, they're getting up and walking the dog and doing all the things it does to take care of someone or something else. We know that that does drive us and get us going. And thankfully makes us feel good. So not just giving to others to the point where you are the martyr and you're suffering. No, because that's not good. And also, if you're suffering, you won't even be able to help as much. The stronger you make yourself and the more you make sure you take care of yourself, the more you'll have to give or for the longer period of time or in the best way possible. So if we can shift our focus from what am I going to get from this to what can I give, we actually will end up feeling even better. You will get more in the long run, not get more in the sense of money and fame necessarily, but get more as in it will fill you up with a good feeling, a longer lasting feeling. I often talk about, and I, I know I've used the word happiness even, but when people think of happiness as just feeling good in the moment, that's a short-lived type of experience that you can try to keep chasing. How do I feel good now? How do I feel good now? How do I feel good now? But it usually doesn't drive us to live a good life. But if we strive towards fulfillment or feeling content or living a meaningful life, that's a much more longer-lasting feeling. How do I feel good when I look back on my life and what I've done? It doesn't mean every moment felt good. Actually, it'll likely mean or definitely will mean sometimes you did the thing that didn't feel as good in the moment because it aligned with your values or it was to delay gratification to work on something now that was contributing to later on um, that you didn't always do the thing that just felt good in the moment. That hedonic type of a way of living is not going to lead to long-term happiness and fulfillment 
it'll lead to temporary joy and it's like a drug that you have to keep chasing but nothing meaningful will be experienced within you so we have to take it in the longer term approach which means sometimes it doesn't feel good you're in a relationship having a good time but you have to have an uncomfortable talk about things that are going on in the moment it would feel more fun to avoid the conversation and and watch tv or whatever you're doing just relax and not think about it but if you really want to create a, a healthy meaningful relationship it means that sometimes you have to do the more painful thing so when we recognize that what should be driving us are values and what should be driving us is doing something to give more to others to give of ourselves, to have more to give and that's really the way we get more in the end we have a very different view of success and we have a very different view of what should be fueling us and motivating us and after the break i might continue on this topic on looking at what does it mean to give and what does it mean to develop ourselves that we can give more because sometimes we think well if if it's all about giving then i should just give and give and give until i have nothing left in the moment and not recognize that that actually takes away from what we can contribute and give uh, to others so let's talk more about that after the break let's go to another commercial break we'll be right back welcome back continuing on the theme of success and being aware of how we measure success rather than seeing it as what you get measuring it by what you give and trying to keep that mindset when we look to others, but also to ourselves when we want to be successful, looking at what that means. And usually we have already internalized society's measuring stick of looking at how much money you make, status, and other things. It could be fame, um, especially now with social media. You see it so much with uh, everyone, but especially younger generational. How many followers does someone have? essentially can be a marker or indicator of some type of success. And we can understand these things, why we might see things this way. Social status has value, it has huge value in, in societies, in the Persian culture even still, uh, it has a strong value of who you get to marry, um, what type of life you get to live. Really, sometimes even things like life and death might feel like they come down to, to your status or being able to get married at all and all those types of things. So we can understand where it's coming from. But if we recognize that those types of things, when they fuel us, are not going to make us happy and it's always going to be dependent on others, what they think of us, we have a lot less control over that as well, which also makes it um, much more shaky and much less something that we know we can influence because I can work on myself always. I can work on developing myself. Yes, there's always things that are out of your control, even if you want to, let's say I was using the uh, analogies of being a singer, or being a scientist, whatever it is, there's some things out of your control that other people have to give you uh, approval. And I was talking before about interdependence. So of course, we, we need others and others will have to be involved. But we have much more control over what we do with developing ourselves and who we are and who we become. And before that, we have a much bigger influence on what we allow to motivate us. So I'm here arguing that we should shift our focus from thinking about what we're going to get to what you can give. And the good news is, as I was mentioning in the previous segment, that when we focus on what we can give and we see that we're giving and helping the world, helping others, it's going to lead to longer term 
good feelings for us. So this is comes back to some of these arguments people make of, well, nothing we ever do is selfless because if you're telling me you want to give to others, but you know it's going to make you feel good, well, then that's selfish too. And so these uh, philosophical type of arguments can get interesting. And um, yes, maybe you can say if you use these types of definitions, nothing could be said to be selfless in the sense that the more selfless it is, the more of a good feeling it is. So the more selfless on the outside, it makes you feel better. Uh, in that way, I can understand that. But we can't then just say all actions are equal to say that stealing money from someone is the same as raising money or giving money to someone. Um, yes, we always want to look at the intentions and things can vary, but I think it's a very slippery slope. And I think that moral relativism can make sense when we're looking at certain things and comparing certain things. But we also don't want to make a sweeping generalization that everything is as selfish as everything else uh, or everything has essentially the same result because we can't say that anything is completely selfless or altruistic. It has some benefit to you, even if that benefit is just feeling good. So I think we can uh, put levels to the types of actions that we take and make and what we allow to motivate us definitely makes a big difference. So if you tell me uh, I feel better because I went and helped someone um, do something, that's very different to me than you say I felt better because someone did something and I went and got the credit for it and told everyone I did it and convinced them. I don't think you could say those are the same things and those values would be very different. Uh, coming back to seeing yourself as the what you give as the measure of your success, we sometimes think of, you know, meet your own potential and, you know, you should shine and you should go do great things and become great uh, because of you. Which is true. I think everyone does deserve that. First, as a society, as a global society, we should create a world where every person at least has uh, their basic needs met and has the space to express themselves or become uh, and meet their full potential, which means that more of your basic needs need to be taken care of and even higher level needs as far as getting your needs met uh, at neat times of health. Um, access to different things, if you have a disability, whatever it might be. I think that as a society, we should make sure that everyone gets those basic needs met to express their fullest potential. Doesn't mean we're going to have equality of results, that everyone is going to be as good as everyone. That's not even actually good. We all have different strengths and skills and abilities, and those should be able to shine. But everyone should at least have the basics to be able to meet their full potential, meaning that they shouldn't be suffering or struggling just to survive. So we should all have that, that space to meet that full potential. And so that's one thing. It does feel good for each one of us to express that full potential. And so usually when we think of this, we think of the individual that you deserve to become the best version of yourself, which is true. But the other side of it is also that the world deserves to get the best version of everyone. And so first, that's why I think the world has the responsibility to give everyone that opportunity. But then also as ourselves and also globally looking at we should be 
striving to give it to everyone else. That it's not just, oh, it's nice if you become the best version of yourself to give to others. You actually owe it to the world to become the best version of yourself to give to others. If you're going to be that scientist that's trying to create a vaccine, it's not just, oh, it'd be cool if you really try hard, maybe it'd be nice. It's like you can actually think lives can be saved or lost based on me really putting the effort into this, trying to develop myself and then work hard to, to create something. Literally, lives can be lost or gained uh, or saved based on what you do. Or if you're sharing an art or you're doing some kind of skill, whatever it is, we should recognize that being our best self, you know, you see living your best life or becoming the best version of yourself in a very individualistic mindset that it's just about you, but we should actually recognize the responsibility that comes with actually uh, being a human being that we can or need to give the best of ourselves to the world. We have to strive to develop. Yes, no one's going to be perfect. No one's going to, you know, we could probably say in some ways no human being has met their full 100% potential in life because, you know, we have uh, things that interfere. We might slip we might make mistakes we're not going to be perfect that's fine but i mean in some kind of ideal that we're striving towards that we want to be fueled by becoming the best version of ourselves for us and for the world so we can give to others in the best way and so that means of course working hard um, whatever it is whether it's educating working on a skill an art a craft whatever it is that we can give but also taking care of ourselves so recognizing that when we talk about self-care, which is sometimes looked at as a luxury, uh, that you're taking time off when you could have been working, you actually realize that when you're taking care of yourself, it's so you can keep doing things. If you are, again, using the analogies I've already used, the scientists, you have to make sure you need to exercise, eat well, um, sleep well in order to help others. If you say, I'm not going to ever sleep because I want to help others, well, you're going to burn out and not be able to help them as long and not be as effective when you are uh, working. And yes, of course, at times we go through periods where you might not sleep or go through some deadline or whatever it might not be. So I'm not saying that things don't ever change and we have to be inflexible. But it's recognizing that taking care of yourself is another way of making yourself the strongest you can be. So it's like you're giving uh, of this glass that is yours that you want to fill up with water, which is, let's say, the gift that you're going to give. So you're going to keep filling that up so you can give it away. But you also have to take care of the glass because if the glass has cracks, as good as the water is, well, it's going to start seeping through or spilling out through those cracks and there won't be much or any left to give to other people. So you, in some way, your being, that's the glass which you have to take care of and also then fill up that glass with the water that you can then give to others and to then in that way by the end of your life try to empty that glass as far as giving it to others not having it spill out in all directions that actually aren't in some way contributing to other people so we can see that our focus is very different from i'm building up myself for me and yes as i mentioned before you will get a lot of good feeling and benefits um, as eric Fromm says in the art of loving 
It is better to give than to receive, not because, as sometimes it's thought of, well, giving is more painful, so in that way it's more noble, but that actually when we give, we feel good about ourselves. You get in touch with your own vitality, strength, abilities, whatever it is, you get a good feeling from that, not just because it hurts, it actually feels good. So giving in and of itself feels good, not because it hurts more, and then you can tell yourself you're a better person. So you will get benefits um, from this in the long term. But if you focus on, I'm building myself up to give to others. If you're a teacher and you think, I want to become the best teacher, learn things about every aspect of being a teacher to help my kids in the best way, that fuel will be very different that I want to have people tell me how good I am or to make more money. There will be a very different experience in your motivation. And, and also, even if you get the same result, you will feel different about it. So it, it can be an interesting thing to think that you actually owe it to the world to work hard, to build yourself up, to develop who you are, to then help and give more of yourself, to have more to give to other people. We don't just owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the world to become that best version of ourselves. And we can make that our focus. How can I continue to build myself up? And really, I think, as I said, no one has reached their full potential in a 100% type of a way, but we all can recognize there's so many ways we can build ourselves up more than we thought we could, that we can develop our skills, our abilities, our talents, or even try things that we haven't tried before in order to, one, see the goodness in ourselves, but also to share that goodness with others. And then also to receive it from one another. If we imagine some kind of utopia and idealistic way of looking at things, imagine if everyone in the world was giving their gifts to the world and everyone else at 100%, that would be the ideal. Now, we won't get to 100%, as I was saying, probably no one has reached that full, full, full potential of whoever they are. But I think it is a value that should be uh, important and something as an ideal that we strive towards. You're not going to be a perfect parent, but you strive to be the best you can be. Whatever we're doing, we strive for that. But we should strive first as a society to create the context where everyone can have this ability to develop that. But then as individuals also to look, okay, it's my responsibility to build myself up to the best version of myself, which will feel good to me, but then also I'll have more to give and more to share, which will benefit others. But then again, in return, you will also feel better looking at that positive impact that that we are having. So first, recognize that success should be measured not by what you get, but by what you give. And secondly, when we recognize that, see that it's my obligation and responsibility to build myself up, to develop myself in the best way I can, to then give and be able to give more to others, also while taking care of myself so I can continue to give more to others. And again, it creates this ultimate win-win where I help others more, but I also feel better as well. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Um. By the way, we we're having some feedback, and also I don't know if we're having some issue with the audio, and um, 
can you hear me okay? Uh, I, uh, yes, there's an echo. I can hear echo, but it comes through. Okay, if you're on speaker, that that might be part of the issue. I don't know. Um, no, what's I'm going not. On. I'm actually on a on a um, cell phone, not a oh, okay. line, but cell phone. Okay, yeah, the ringing got a little bit better. Let's hope it stays that way. Oh. Um, but go ahead, let me know what your question is. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you very much for all the great job and all the um, favor that you guys are doing for the Hambatana. Uh, My pleasure. I have issue that um, I've been here for a long time. I came to America actually in 1983. And I had a great, very successful life. Uh, never got married. I uh, took care of my mother for 30 years, uh, and she recently passed away about about a year and a half ago, almost two years. And uh, that was a very big shock to me, and it just um, uh, very, um, uh, it, it really, uh, I never, I never was any, anything like that, ever experienced anything like that. And my father passed away, he was in Iran, but I was far away, I was not as close as to him, I didn't see him for like years like eight nine years when he passed it wasn't that hard of a deal um, but um, then recently I lost my cat I my fiance basically left uh, I lost a few members of my family I'm just being uh, down very um, how would I say I don't want to use the word you know, depressed but uh, low esteem like I don't want to do anything I just don't I just get up in the morning and I was always athletic, working out. Uh, uh, I even gave up my job. I was in real estate. I just, mm-hmm. just held it. I just don't want to do anything right now. Well, how I, would I know I you're come, saying. How would I overcome this? I mean, yeah. what would I do to make things better for me? I mean, uh, well, there's I mean, obviously a lot of things to look at. I know you're saying um, you don't think you're depressed, but everything you're describing sounds like depression. You know, not having the motivation, energy to get out, having the down mood, and and you're dealing with a lot of loss. You talked about your mother passing away less than a year ago, Uh, your cat died, and also you said your fiancé left, which you said very quickly. It seems like that would be a pretty big big loss as well. So, I mean, you're dealing with all those losses, and uh, of course it can have a huge impact on how you're going to feel in every aspect of your life. I would imagine it's taken a big toll on you but the way even you said i don't i'm not depressed but I, maybe you don't want to acknowledge that you maybe you are depressed and you're going through this really hard time and so you know you asked me how how can i get out of this um well, one of the first things you always have to try to do is acknowledge and understand what is the issue what is really going on and accept that reality of the situation before we can move forward so what makes you think you are not depressed well, um, I mean, I, I still do things, you know, I function mm-hmm. uh, normal, but uh, I don't have any uh, aggressiveness to go, like, make money or uh, uh, go to weight training again. Uh, I even try to take a trip to Iran to maybe I go see my distant family. I have five brothers and sisters which are all here in this country, mm-hmm. but they're doing their own things and they have their own problem and they don't. I mean, do they do care? But they, um, you know, it's if it's if it is like you go see him, yes, no, maybe, um, and they know how close I was to my mom. I mean, uh, 
for 33 years I took care of this woman in the past seven years was uh, Alzheimer's and it was like a 24 7 thing you know like uh, I was just leaving home maybe two hours a day maybe an hour and a half just to buy some things come back and take a quick shower at the gym and home Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that really, um, I don't want to say messed me up, but it, I wanted to, that, to do that. I, that was my only obligation that, and the duty that I had that I wanted to do to the last, one of the last breaths that she had, which that happened. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Once I came yeah. home, she took the last breath, she was gone. Well, and, yeah, uh, that's, uh, by the way, how old are you? I don't know if you mentioned at the beginning. I'm, I'm 59. 59? 50, 5'9". 5'9", S- okay. Yeah. yeah. When I came to U.S. 83, I left Iran mm-hmm. in, uh, actually right before the revolution, a month before. I went to Europe for about a few years, five years, then I came to U.S. And I yeah. ever stayed here until the year 2000. Then we start going back and forth. And uh, I never had the opportunity to, you know, um, meet a Iranian woman. I really wanted to marry my own kind. But unfortunately, it didn't happen, and um, just let it go. I just said, "Hell, you know, I'm doing my things. I'm happy. I got my mother. I got my uh, girlfriend, and then I have my cat, which is just like my son. I mean, I had this cat for like 18 years. It was like uh, my ward. But uh, well, as I said, every one of them, my family, my uh, distant family, my close family, most of them, they're not close to me, and I'm just." Uh, um, maybe you're right. Maybe I do have depression. Maybe I don't want to understand. Maybe I don't want to impose it to myself. But uh, yeah. I was thinking maybe I can do something else to, you know, get over this. Something maybe. Well, I don't want to go to medication. I know for fact. I don't. I don't. Okay. I never take anything in my entire life. Even if I have a headache, I don't take aspirin for it. Well, I, I mean, can't. I think, and I don't want you to think if you want to get help it would have to be medication it would be one option depending on what you're going through and what might be helpful and um, as always when we take any kind of treatment whether it's a medicine or therapy or whatever it is we we want to look at the the pros and the cons of it and i hope at least be open to it doesn't mean you have to take medication but if you say i won't take it no matter what um, we might want to look at the belief that's there about medication is bad or i have to do it on my own maybe there's some of that based on what you're saying of not mm-hmm. wanting to even acknowledge the depression maybe it's that oh i can get myself out of it i can get myself out of this maybe you can um but maybe you'll need some more help and some tools to help you get out of it and and i'm also getting the sense from how you described it you know of course on one hand it's very loving that you wanted to take care of your mom her whole you know for 30 years and especially the last seven years was really uh, you know painful and challenging with what she was going through but i also am wondering if you were not taking care of your own needs because you were taking care of her that mm-hmm. you your own life got put on the back burner and it's actually interesting in the previous segments i was talking about life and success and about giving to others um but of course, sometimes if we don't take care of ourselves and our own needs first, that itself can be a problem. And so we that other extreme, sometimes we're too focused on getting sure. ourselves what we want, but sometimes we're so neglecting ourselves that we might not realize that maybe we're not okay because we think yeah. my only, you know, my responsibility is just to you know take care of my mom, but your own life 
almost didn't exist, it sounds like, during yes, those right. times, the way you described it. As a matter of it. fact, I was just listening to, before you come to take my call, it was uh -huh. in there. Uh, you're explaining the same. You're like a glass of water. It yeah. Take your glass to carry the water. Otherwise, uh, if the glass breaks, you know, mm -hmm. can't carry no water. Absolutely. I, I actually took that into uh, consideration. Well, while I was listening to that uh, before it came to line, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I, sometimes I think uh, it's. Um, I feel better when I'm around people. I mean, um, sure. but I, I never was a loner in my life. I, I never had too many friends either, you know, because I didn't trust too many people uh, because I got burned many times, you know, as far as mm. close friends. But now yeah. um, when I think about it, um, um, if I do have maybe a companion, somebody that's close with me, I feel more comfortable that I'm uh, not as uh, edgy as I am. But, um, sure. That, of course, comes with, you know, you got to know people. And uh, I was going to actually take a trip to Iran, and my cousin just called a few days ago and said, listen, it's like 300 dead a day for this corona. Yeah. So be careful if you're coming you know, like in the plane and where you're stopping. And even here, you know, it's very difficult now. So Yeah. Well, it probably won't be the same experience as, as before. And, of course, being around people, as human beings, we like to be around people. I actually earlier at the beginning of the show was talking about how in some ways it's like a need we have to be around others. Um, I did mention something about what might be related to what you're going through. It's like you want to be around people, but you might also keep a certain space. You talked about getting burned. So it's possible that because you got hurt by being close to people, you uh, in a way pick this strategy of being around people but not being too close or even with your mom it was kind of this relationship where you were just serving her but not really a mutual relationship so you might have gotten more comfortable in those kinds of situations where either you don't get so close or when you're the one that's just giving but not really getting something back in the relationship as far as a give and take that we need in a relationship so i actually would want be curious about talking about your romantic relationships and you mentioned your uh, fiance where things have ended recently but looking at how you are in relationships is there this desire to be close and around people but also a fear of getting close that prevents you from having the type of meaningful relationships that might actually make you feel better yes yes mm -hmm. so tell me a bit about your the the your romantic relationships and especially this most recent you said you were engaged what mm -hmm. happened there when we came from Iran, we, we used to take two trips to Iran for business and pleasure with my mom till she was well, till 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, 2006, I met this young lady, and um, she had a son, and we basically took care of her like our own child. And uh, she basically built a bond with me that, hey, he helped me out in my life. I'm going to be with him, too. So unfortunately, uh, within a few years, 2008, she... Uh, got into a habit of more of drinking, like smoking, uh, and, you know, different substances, pills, and so forth. And I was just um, constantly telling her, listen, this is not good for you, this is bad for you, because she went through a bad separation with her uh, ex-boyfriend. So mm -hmm. then the child was taken away from her at age 12. But she stayed in my house, and once she was in my house, um, I basically took care of her, like my, 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 my wife, you see what I'm saying? She 
didn't have to do any work. I just told her, listen, stop work if you have to. Just relax, do what you have to do. And I really did not care uh, from 2013 to 2019 if there's an at- atomic bomb goes on next door in my in my house. As long as my mom was with me, I was happy. I was I was not con- con- I was contempt with that. I didn't want anybody come between me and her. And um, my mom and I, we were like unseparatable for many many years till she got the Alzheimer's. And the only person that she knew was actually me and her. And she didn't know anybody else. My brother and sister would come in. She just doesn't know who they are because they were not close with her. But uh, the relationship between, between me and her just hung in there, and it was, it was just uh, going on as whether she was in this house, whether she wasn't. Uh, I wasn't, I, I mean, I cared, but uh, we had a great sexual relationship. We had uh, any time that, um, you know, we wanted, we were there for each other. But most of the time, she was not even in this uh, planet. She was um, high or drunk or mm-hmm. sleeping, getting up at 5 p.m., wanted to hang out till like midnight. I'm going to go to bed at 7 p.m. because I was running all day. But uh, we had a good good um, sexual relationship. But as far as being a part of each other, sitting and talking to each other, I don't think we sat down and talked with each other 10 times in the past 10 years. You see what I'm saying? We just uh, were yeah, there for each saying. other. That's it. Well, and even then, when you're saying uh, there for each other... If I do, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because we're actually going to get close to a commercial break, but I want us to continue after the break. But, you know, the theme, it's interesting. Again, it's like you had two people in your life who you're saying your mom dealing with the dementia, she's not really there. And then you're saying even when you talked about this woman who you're in a relationship with, you're saying she wasn't there because she was, uh, I guess, drunk or intoxicated or not in a good place. And so there's this dynamic of you're around people where you're taking, again, with her, she could do whatever she did. It was okay. You were taking care of her. And again, it could be coming from a place of generosity, but there's also this, you know, just taking care of others, but your own needs. Now you're saying sexually, there's something there, but it seems like there was very little there in the relationship, which also again points to this not wanting to get so close really to someone, just have someone, uh, and also maybe feel like if I'm giving them and taking care of them, then they can't leave me in a way because then there's like this security that at least they're here and kind of a codependent type of relationship seems to be what you're describing with her. But you getting your real needs met other than the sexual part of it seems like that wasn't there at all, but that you are in a way comfortable with that, or you think that's okay, or that is right. Um, but it's going to, and then leave you unhappy. And, and I don't know, was this the same woman you were with up until recently when you said my fiance left? No. Yeah. Woman, so, never, so yeah, she never cheated on me. I never cheated on her. We were yeah. together, but as I said, it was more like a, me helping her being here, um, emotionally helping me out with my, 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 I don't want to say my problem, but maybe my duty that I have for my mom. And she was a fine lady, don't get me wrong. But when I'm not saying she wasn't, had, yeah, yeah. I mean, she was not necessarily, I'm not saying she was not a fine lady, but that there was, it wasn't really a fine relationship and there was not really a, a really mutual relationship there. Um, and, and then, uh, uh, you know, Let's actually take the break because we're at the time for the commercial break because I also want to get into what happened. It seems like after your mother passed, it affected your relationship with her. I'm sure you were affected by your mother passing too, but um, there seems to be something that, you know, the dynamic of your relationships tend to be about 
I'm gonna give, but not realizing that in a relationship, especially a romantic one, if there isn't a give and take, something is missing, but maybe you're more comfortable in that way. So let's take a commercial break. Okay. We'll talk some more in a few minutes, all right? Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. So, you know, before the break, you're sharing about your life, what's been going on, what you're going through now. And, um, you know, I did want to get into what happened in your relationship. You said uh, you, the way you said it was my fiance left, um, which does seem like meaning that she ended the relationship. Uh can you tell me a bit about how that happened? You know, I shared before Correct. the break some thoughts about the yeah. dynamics. It seems like you have your relationships or you create in your relationships. So go ahead. Tell me what happened there. Well, basically, uh, maybe, uh, maybe uh, I didn't um, say it the right way. When my mom passed away, that was uh, 2019, January, uh, after a month, I sat down with this young lady. I gave her automation. I said, listen. I'm going to uh, warn my mom, you're going to do whatever I have to do for how long it's going to take. And believe it or not, uh, it's over 19 months my mom has passed right now. I probably have missed uh, seven times at night, maybe 20 times daytime, not to see her. I mean, I go every day to the cemetery to visit her, which is about a few miles away from my house, the nice Muslim cemetery, which is... Uh, very nicely done. So I go visit her, and I feel good when I go there. So after a month, I told this young lady, "Listen, you need to stop what you're doing. We gotta be traveling to oversee different countries because when I came to this country, I started from zero, and I basically was very successful with what I did in construction. And um, when my mom um, was uh, uh, very ill." Actually, I quit everything. I said to myself, I don't want to work anymore. I have enough. I'm going to take care of her. And she had a good patient. She had a good uh, Medicare, Medicaid from the government. So it was a great help. But however, um, me wanting the relationship with this young lady, and I gave her ultimation, you need to stop. Uh, you know, he's done on your drinking. He's done on smoking. Nothing happened. Just got worse and worse and worse and worse till the following January, which is a year went by. And I basically um, told her that I want her to leave if she's going to continue like this. And I found that she's had, uh, you know, some people in Facebook talking to um, uh, some old friends, old uh, boyfriends, old uh, exes and so forth. And when I find that out, I basically um, pulled the rug out of her feet and I said, that's it, you got to leave. So we were through a bad um, breakup. And I finally got her out of my house after six months. So she went her way. I went, um, basically stayed here. This is how it happened. And mm. the reason that happened is that I just wanted her to, uh, you know, be normal. But obviously, in um, when, when someone needs to alcohol and drug, it's, it is very difficult to just get out of it. They need help. They need to go to uh, facilities. They need to have uh, professional help. But she did not believe in that. She just think she doesn't have that problem, but she did. Very yeah. bad, very, very well, bad. So I just basically said to myself, uh, why would I, why would I want to go down the down the bottom of this road for her, because she's going to pull me down? Let me at least get out and save myself. 
And this yeah. is right now approximately uh, seven months, six and a half months that, uh, you know, she still calls, say hello, how are you? I miss you. I want to come back. But I'm just doing my own thing. I just don't want to be part of it. And, uh, and I know probably that has to do a lot with the depression, but truly 90% I think is because still loss of my mom, loss of my relatives, um, my little, I, I call him my boy, my, my cat, which was so close to me that I could not even imagine. Um, but um, as far as the relationship with this young lady, I think maybe we'll play 20% of it because I just, I don't think about her every day or um, say, oh, I miss her, I do this, I do that. I don't, I don't have that. Um, well, that's, uh, I mean, okay, well, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, the infidelity, I know you said we didn't cheat and maybe, you know, cyber cheating is still cheating. It's an infidelity that is not okay. So, you know, and you said, like, I wanted her just to be normal. And it might sound strange, but in some ways, you maybe didn't want her to be normal in the sense that it seems like the relationship was set. I know you're saying you wanted her to get help, but you were with her for years and she didn't get help. So you were accepting that she wasn't because in some ways you might have felt comfortable that she needed you or was dependent on you. And that was keeping the relationship alive in a way. Now, I'm glad that when she crossed that line, you didn't accept it. And I don't think you should. But um, it seems like before that, there was a lot missing in this relationship or there wasn't a lot there. But I want you to see that it wasn't just something that happened, but you were choosing this dynamic, even though you can uh, say it's not healthy. And when you tell me, and I, I believe that you see that it's not healthy in a logical way, but emotionally, somehow this relationship felt right for you or comfortable right. for you. Yes, and the way you yes. talk about visiting your mom still, uh, not that I, I think just because someone dies doesn't mean our relationship with them dies. You still have a relationship with them, but there's still, I get the sense that living your life for you is not something you're so comfortable with even that you stopped working at that point just to take care of your mom in some ways it sounds good and i don't want to say you it was the wrong thing to do but i get the sense that you put your own life completely on hold when maybe it didn't have to be either or you could have been there for her financially take care of her so she has people there but you don't have to be there 24 7 or as much only but it seems like at some level you sacrificed your own life and there's some comfort. And and one thing I want to mention, I know you said uh, medication is not something you want to take. And I, I would rather you're not completely closed off to that. But even before that, what I would recommend, and maybe you've already gone, but I'd highly recommend you go into therapy because what you're dealing with are some pretty deep-rooted issues related to how you form relationships how you feel about yourself and these things are very deep and on top of that you potentially are dealing with a depression now and sometimes without medication um, therapy itself can be very helpful for dealing with depression so i i would recommend that but have you seen a therapist before no never never uh, okay but, uh, see doctor one thing i, I want to uh, emphasize on uh, I think a part of it was me having this young lady with me. Uh, I don't want to say because I use her, but as I said, my main concern was my mom, and she came to my life after 2013 to live with me, saying that I want to help you with this. But she really wasn't a great help. She was a help to me mentally, being there for me. So 
I don't have to go out at night. I don't have to go look for anyone at night. I don't have to be, uh, you know, she was there for me and we had a good long term, seven, eight years before that we were together. We knew each other. But once again, I was, I didn't care. We were like, she gets up at 4 p.m. Uh, if any other guy would say, hey, why don't you get up this time? Do your dishes, do this, do that. I would say, honey, how are you doing? What, you, how, you're tired? Go buy TV, I'll bring you a sandwich. Or go on TV, I'll bring you food. Or you want to go take a nap? You know, I was, I was more uh, helping her than she was helping well, me. But, but maybe you weren't helping her. I know this is going to maybe not sound so good, but you might have actually been enabling her in a negative way. Not that I'm saying you should, uh, you know, oh, do this, do that, controlling kind of a way. But by just saying everything is okay and accepting a relationship this way, accepting her doing whatever, it probably wasn't even good for her. But there's something, you know, that seems very much like a codependent relationship. So you might want to look, if you don't, uh, aren't so familiar with it, but looking at codependency, but the way you almost... Like I said, you know, you said I just wanted her to be normal, but in some ways it seems like her being not normal the ways you're describing it of dealing with addiction, maybe herself being depressed if she's not getting out of bed all day. Um, that might have actually been easier for you. In some ways, it was like you were taking care of two sick patients, like your mom and her, and the way you're even describing, I'll bring you a sandwich, I'll do this. It seems like that's your comfort zone of being the giver in that way. Some of that can be good, but really to have a healthy relationship, we have to also be able to receive in the relationship, which might be harder for you. And that's what I mean is looking at what are these dynamics that what you're describing, I'm sure you wouldn't recommend for someone to have a relationship like this, where it's so lacking of actual connection, lacking of back and forth. Uh, One person is dealing with addiction throughout the whole relationship. There's things there that I know you know are not good, but we have to try to understand why would you be okay with this and, and accept this. And even the way you were with your mom, I get the sense there was ways that you were avoiding some aspects of real life, of really having a relationship with someone where it was more 50-50 because this was safer for you. And now, you know, at any age you can have the relationship you want so i don't want you to think it's too late but i wouldn't want you to wait anymore and i really think that uh, unless you go into therapy to really dig a little bit deeper we just have like one minute left here but really it's uh, even if we had more time you really need to get into therapy to address these things to not think you're going to figure it out on your own or just climb out of it and it's not just about the depression you're going through now this depression could be a sign of bigger issues that have been there for years that are now culminating in what you're going through now. So I would really urge you to go into therapy and really be ready for a long-term relationship with a therapist, meaning that you don't just go a few times, that go for months and months and even years if it really takes that, um, to really understand yourself better because you deserve that and to face some things that you might not want to face because it usually is tough in therapy to get really into things, but that I'm hoping that that will help you see that What's led to where you are today? And then what do you want to do with the rest uh, of the life that you have? Uh, And you should be ready that most therapists right now might only be doing video sessions or telehealth, but that can still be very helpful. That's all I'm doing at this time and still find that it could be effective. So uh, I do have to wrap up, but I really hope you will um, go to therapy. Don't worry that no one's going to force you to take medication, but even that's something you can be open to and talk to them about. But I hope you will get that help, and I, I appreciate you calling. Thank you. 
And I did as a matter of fact I feel a little bad right now but just for oh, talking good. to you and you know give, give me some advice. But thank you very well, much. Good and imagine that you know what you had with me times a lot more because you're going to keep doing it. That's what you'll really get from therapy. So I hope you will do that again. Appreciate you calling. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Take you, care. Appreciate thank you. All Bye. right. Well. God bless you. Take care. Uh, thank you to Ghazala in the studio. Everyone listening out there, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi. Have a wonderful day.